This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Additional support provided by... The secret to quality fermentation is White Labs. Core strains are made weekly and most can ship out the next day. Order through the White Labs app or yeastman.com. Visit whitelabs.com backslash whitelabs for a new customer special offer. That's whitelabs.com backslash W-H-Y whitelabs. You're not just getting a beer concept that comes from one or two brains, you're getting it from a whole bunch. Um, so it gives us a wide range of, of creativity. Um, it also serves as a great educating piece for, for folks, people who haven't brewed before, get to not only brew a beer, but get to be participate in the recipe development uh, and brewing and cellaring, et cetera, of that beer and really you know, learn a tremendous amount about process. This week on the show, Jason Perkins tells us how a beer comes to life at Allagash Brewing Company. Jason, how many brand, how many new brands did Allagash release last year? You know, I'm not exactly sure how many beers we did last year, but we're probably we're if you include literally every single one, it's probably getting pretty close to a hundred. Wow. Um, you know, and some of those are, you know, maybe that's one single keg that we poured in our tasting room for some specific event or something like that, but it's a lot. Okay, sure. cool. So I guess we get better asked the most important question that everyone's wondering, how on earth do you come up with names for all those beers that aren't already taken? It's absolutely the hardest part. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It, it's it's pretty brutal. It uh, used to be fun you know, back in the day, right? Yeah, for it's sure. not fun anymore. No. <laughs> yeah, we we we. It's it's really hard, and and I, I will say, luckily, I'm not I'm not that involved in it anymore. And I've actually I've told um, I've told the other folks involved in it to to basically just just loop me in at the end because yeah. <laughs> I end up I realized that I was just putting a wrench in stuff, you know, because. Uh, they'd asked my opinion and, you know, someone asked my opinion, I would give my opinion and, um, you know, it might, I might do it at the wrong time after that they've already gone through and, and ruled a bunch of other stuff out. So I was just throwing wrenches into it. So, uh, now I don't, I, I usually the name comes to me when, uh, 
when they're pretty, you know, when the couple other folks who work on it are pretty set on where they want to be. Yeah. But we do like our innovation program in general. We do ask, uh, you know, usually an email goes out to the entire staff uh, here and says, anybody uh, want to weigh in on this? You know, you give a little background to what the beer is. Um, and then, you know, people do weigh in. Uh, but the, you know, the problem is a lot of times people aren't, aren't checking untapped or Googling those names before they, they put them in. So, uh, many of them, 90% of the names that are suggested by staff are, are not usable because they're already used by somebody else. Yeah. Makes sense. The inter- industry as a whole is a lot different than it was five or 10 years ago. Talk about some of the new challenges in brand development. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a whole different world. I mean, it, you know, if we go back to the early years of like creating beers here at Allagash 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even five years ago, it was, you know, it was a lot, it was just, um, you know, it was easier. You could do it a little bit slower. You could just kind of casually come up with a concept and execute it and so on. Um, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of breweries out there. There's a lot of brands out. Every brewery has got a whole bunch of different beers. Um, consumers want, uh, what's new, what's different. Um, so that poses a challenge. Um, Timelines have to be uh, pushed up, you know, you know, partially because the industry has changed, partially because we're a bigger company than we used to be, you know, planning ahead for beers that we're going to sell. I mean, we're, we're, you know, a year out on some of that planning, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, we were, you know, we'd, we'd say, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's do this beer. Great. And, you know, you know, six weeks to eight weeks later, we're selling it. Uh, and, and it's just, uh, it's not, it's just so much, much more of a complicated world these days. You let all employees at Allagash partic- participate in the pipeline of new brands. Talk about that and what it does for company culture. Yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing that we, we started a long time ago. I mean, I think with any great piece of culture at a company, it, the the greatest ones are ones that grow with the company. It's so hard to like ins, insert a certain practice into a company when it's already grown. Whereas this is a good example. You know, you know I'd use the same argument with safety. I think we have a great safety culture here that started when we were really small, good quality culture, et cetera. Um, but in, and, you know, the way we tapped into our staff really started from the very beginning when we were just a couple of employees, they were allowed. But as we grew, we just, for a while had this program without a scaffold around it. And then as we grew, we realized we had to kind of put a scaffold around what we already had in place. Um, and so now as a, you know, a company of 130 or so employees, we, you know, we do need some kind of structure for it. So we just, uh, we allow all employees to submit a concept um, to the, our pilot team. Uh, and, and we intentionally make the, the process for submitting an idea as simple as possible. So it's literally just a very simple Google form people fill out. Um, and, and they don't need to include, you know, specific yeast strains or, or raw materials of any type. Uh, depending on the individual, they may just submit, you know, a flavor that they're trying to get at. Or, you know, I had this beer that inspired me and this beer I really love. I want to do a hybrid of these two. Uh, and you know, we do that on purpose because we realize that, you know, we may have some staff members who have brewed here for a long time or have a big home brewing background. You know, those folks can submit an idea really fully flushed out. Um, they may even submit an actual recipe to brew on our small system. But there are a lot of employees here who, uh, you know, love beer, but maybe don't know process as well or haven't even home brewed or brewed a batch at all in their, in, in their life. So 
um, they can just submit kind of a concept they're trying to hit at. And then the experienced uh, brewers on the pilot team can develop that recipe with them to get at the flavors they want to get. Um, so what it does for us is it's, it's hard to really capture everything, but I mean, it, it certainly is our innovation pipeline. It lets us tap into a wide kind of diversity of people here. So you're not just getting a beer concept that comes from one or two brains. You're getting it from a whole bunch. Um, so it gives us a wide range of, of creativity. Um, it also serves as a great educating piece for, for folks, people who haven't brewed before get to not only brew a beer, but get to be participate in the recipe development uh, and brewing and cellaring, et cetera, of that beer. And really, you know, learn a tremendous amount about process, Um, you know, lets us interact with various departments, departments who aren't necessarily on the production floor on the regular, all of a sudden you get to spend a day out there. Um, So it's, it's really, like I said, it's a small program that we've slowly evolved as we've grown as we've grown so um it's really a fantastic program okay talk more about that pilot team and and who's on it how many how many different people or departments are typically involved in this brand development process so the pilot team is um you know like as i just you know just described the pilot team is not um is not the one necessarily coming up with all the, the beer ideas we're getting beer ideas from the whole company the pilot team is empowered to, to certainly cre- create and be innovative themselves. But the pilot team's primary function is to, to um, kind of liaison with uh, somebody who's submitted an idea, work with them, um, and brew with them. So the people on that team kind of have to have, to have uh, a good chunk of experience, uh, either pilot, uh, either home brewing or, you know, brewing uh, on a larger scale. They also have to be good people be you know, good with people they have to be able to talk um teach people about the process work with them about a subject matter they may not know a lot about so the makeup of that team is um made up of um we've got uh, several brewers on the team i mean i i participate in the team but i don't actually run the team we have one of our senior brewers evan culver who's the head of that team um so he kind of runs the meetings and and runs the logistics of the team. Uh, We have several other brewers on the team as well, because a big function is just, you know, the the actual making of the beer, the the functioning of uh, cellar work, et cetera. We have a um, one, somebody from our engineering department, engineering maintenance department on the team as well. He happens to also be an experienced home brewer, but it's nice to have that perspective from a mechanical side of things to, to understand what's going on there. Um, we also have a, a, a position here we call beer to market specialist, uh, and she participates in the pilot team as well. And that's her kind of main role in the pilot team is to be kind of right involved right from the beginning when we identify a beer that's in the pilot stage and we're decided, okay, we're going to move it from the pilot stage to the next stage. Because it is worth noting that we, you know, we'll probably brew, I don't know, 60 or 70 brews on the pilot system a year. And, you know, maybe 10, 15 of those will get pushed forward from that into some next step. So there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of beers that don't get past the pilot stage, of course. So is that, that pilot team is always the same. It doesn't vary for each new brand that comes through, or did I get that no, right? No, it's always, it's always the same. Okay. We do have, we, we have somewhat recently initiated uh, kind of term limits 
for the team members just because there's a lot of interest amongst our staff to be part of that team. So currently it's two-year term limits for people on that team, but it's the same people uh, on that team and working with it each time. We do, every time a beer idea is submitted, someone from the pilot team kind of raises their hand and says, I want to, I want to be the liaison for that particular idea. And so then that particular person will be the one-on-one interactor with whoever submitted the idea. Got it. And we're going to walk through that, the whole process, uh, start to finish here in a second. But uh, one last question before we do that, do you guys use any um, project management software um, as you're developing these, these new beers? We do use, uh, we use um, project management software called Asana for beer to market process, as we call it. So we almost, we look at kind of in several stages when it's in that kind of ideation stage, the pilot team stage, we're not using any project management software there. Um, But when we decide, okay, it's moving from section, you know, this area to the next area into true development, then it gets uh, entered into the Asana um, project management software, which a lot of people have their hands in and, and of course have lots of different responsibilities to actually get that beer to market. Cool. Sounds good. Jason, walk us through, um, walk us through your actual development process. How does it start? Where does it go? We start with, of course, the, you know, the pilot stage where, you know, this idea comes in from an employee. Um, it certainly has to make it past that first round. So that first round is, you know, we get a bunch of ideas that get submitted and, and, you know, the pilot team is tasked with deciding whether it's a worthwhile uh, beer to bring into even that system. You know, we're, we're making only making 10 gallons of beer, so we can, we can brew lots of different beers, but at the same time, you know, our resources are still limited even on that scale. So um, every beer idea that gets submitted does not get brewed. You know, it has to meet a certain amount of number of criteria for us to, to even decide to brew it on that small scale. Um, and so what are those, what, what boxes does it have to have to check? Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 first of all, you know, I, I guess probably first and foremost is, you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be sound like a good idea. Sound like a tasty beer. You know, if somebody submits something that's you know a little bit too over the top or out there and doesn't look like it's going to have the balance that we want and so on. And of course that's a fairly opinionated, uh, you know, nuanced decision there. Um, as is kind of one of our other bullets here at Allagash is you know, we call it Belgian inspired. You know, we don't even necessarily say Belgian style per se, but Belgian inspired. You know, when we started uh, the brewery in 95, we, you know, that was kind of right from the get go our focus. So, you know, luckily that's still a pretty wide range of options out there for us to kind of fit that Belgian inspired um, kind of description. Um, we also needed to be. Uh, what we call safe and legal. So, you know, we want it to be a, with all the wacky ingredients that people are using in beer these days. Um, we want to make sure that it's something that, uh, you know, is safe for us to make and legal for us to make. Um, you know, w- there was a time where we were l- letting uh, folks submit or and in choosing beer ideas that didn't mess, that had some kind of ingredients that were pushing the envelope. But again, our time is, our time is limited. So, you know, if we're not going to make it on the big scale, if we wouldn't even make it, consider making it on the big scale, we're not going to make it on the small scale. So, um, you know, we, we basically used a couple tests for that. One, um, there's the convenient uh, TTB approved list that the Brewers Association worked with TTB on. It's got, you know, 100 some odd ingredients on it that are, you know, acceptable to be used in beer without any um, 
you know, statement of process being submitted for that label approval. So it's a pretty wide range of stuff from various fruits to uh, coffees, you know, a lot of the typical ingredients that brewers are using these days. If it's on that list, then it's an easy yes. Uh, If it's not on that list, we require that it has to be on the generally regarded as safe list, uh, FDA list or grass list. Um, And if it's not on on that list at all, then we it's it's basically a no. We won't let people. Uh, we won't even bother brewing with that uh, on even on the pilot scale because it's just not not really worth our time. Um, kind of coupled with that, it, there has we do think about practicality, uh, and what I mean by that is you know again we, we we use a lot of funky ingredients and funky process and 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 wide range of yeast strains here, um, but when when we're deciding to push a beer forward into the pilot program, we still want to think about how would this be made on the larger brew house? Because there's a lot of things you can do on a 10 gallon size that just are not practical on the larger size. So whether that's, you know, a whole bunch of fruit or uh, lemon zest or something like that, that you can add in a big sparge bag on a 10 gallon system. When you start to think about how that would be executed on a large system, it starts to get a little more complicated. So uh, we just now, uh, as the pilot team, w- we'll think about those things right at the beginning of the process. And we still do some pretty stupid stuff on the big system in the end, very uh, labor intensive, but we, we got to at least be able to do that. Um, so that's, that's thought right at the early, early part of the process. And what percentage uh, of submissions would you say actually make it through this, this first, uh, this first phase? Uh, just off the top of my head, I would guess probably about twenty percent, maybe twenty five percent. Okay. Um, and and you know, wh- a lot of times what will happen too is, um, you know, people are people are submitting their ideas, uh, even though we make it simple. A lot of times they're, you know, they're going outside their comfort zone. They're 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 submitting something maybe they're really passionate about. So a flat out no can be a little harsh. So uh, it a lot of times will reach back out to the person and say, it's a no, but here's why. And, or, you know, here's a, a direction you could go with this. So a lot of times it, re- it results in a resubmission that maybe gets accepted. Fair enough. Okay. Well, let's move on to sort of that second phase. Uh, so your, your second decision point is, are, are we going to sell this beer? How, how do you get to that point? Yeah. Again, th- 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 this gets into some some more nuanced conversations. Um, we have a bi-weekly meeting that's um, kind of addresses a lot of this stuff. It's kind of a rolling uh, beer development pipeline meeting. So we're kind of constantly looking at our uh, rolling schedule of releases over the next 12 plus months, uh, making sure we don't need to adjust things. There's certainly plenty of beers that, especially on the you know uh, wild fermentation side that don't go according to a schedule that we had set for them. So um, does something need to be pushed back a month, et cetera. And in that meeting as well is when we talk about um, potential uh, potential beers that are you know we're pretty happy about in the pilot pilot uh, stage and whether or not they could fit into um, some other kind of release. And that meeting is uh, myself, our beer to market specialist. Uh, our sales director and our marketing director, uh, as well as um, a woman who runs is oversees our tasting room. So that group of people kind of has a variety of perspectives on on what you know what the needs in the marketplace are, what the needs of our tasting room are, what's practical for us to fit into the schedule, and so on. 
typically it's me kind of championing uh, a beer to that group. Uh, and, and that stems from uh, pilot team folks. If there's a beer that the pilot team is really fired up about. Um, if I should also say that all of our pilot beers go on tap in our break room. Um, so there's, you know, uh, just an open system for people to try those beers, um, provide feedback on them. Uh, so we can get some feedback, uh, via draft lab we use for assessing the preferences of that beer, but also just, I put a lot of stock in what I hear people talking about, uh, on the brewery floor, uh, you know, beer that they're pretty psyched about. I also joke, semi-joked and semi-serious that how quickly that five gallon keg is finished in the break room is a, is a big indicator of, uh, how our staff feels about it. Um, so, you know, I bring kind of that knowledge to this biweekly meeting and, and talk about beers that I'm pretty excited about and the team is pretty excited about. And then, you know, it allows um, our marketing and sales directors to really give their perspective on kind of what they're seeing in the marketplace. So, so instead of like a sales and marketing team coming to the pilot team and saying, we need, you know, X type of beer ready in six months, it's really more, here's the, Here's the kind of deep bench, I like to call it, of options that we have. And the sales and marketing po- folks can look at that and say, Ooh, I like, I like that one. That fits you know, in this time frame next year. Or this one fits to just sell in our tasting room. Uh, luckily, we have between cans, 12-ounce bottles, 750-milliliter bottles, 375-milliliter bottles, and kegs. You know, we have options depending on you know, maybe we just want to do one batch of this and sell it in a limited footprint. Maybe we want to go national with it, that kind of thing. Those are the conversations that happen at that bi-weekly meeting. Coming up. It's, it's really amazing to see how people react when their idea gets chosen and, and when it's their brew day and they come to work and they realize they, that this is their day that they get to step away from whatever they're doing on a normal day and brew a batch of beer. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by... Bring the world to your brew house with BSG's diverse selection of ingredients and services. Our dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Make BSG your supplier of choice with products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. Visit us at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewer's calendar. District Northern California meets at Off the Rails Brewing in Sunnyvale July 18th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis joins forces with the Minnesota Craft Brewers Guild once again for the Minnesota Brewers Conference July 26th in Duluth. 
The District St. Paul Minneapolis August Meeting and Golf Outing is August 2nd at Muddy Axe Hop Farm. The District Texas Summer Meeting in Kerrville is the weekend of August 2nd. Don't miss the basic lab equipment for your brewery webinar August 8th, presented by our friend John Geritano from Episode 64. District Rocky Mountain meets August 14th at New Terrain Brewing in Golden. Master Brewer's Brewery Systems Technology and Maintenance course starts August 18th in Madison. And the District Ontario Hop Field Day is August 24th at Goodlot Farmstead Brewing Company. Registration is now open for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary. We'll have a local on the show next month with some insider tips, but be sure to tack on a couple of extra days to enjoy some amazing hiking and make the 45-minute trip to Banff, which is one of the most picturesque places on the planet. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. back to the show. Assuming a beer's made it through those first two phases and, and you're definitely going to sell the beer, uh, let's talk more about that distribution and that sort of that, that, that final decision point about, you know, where and how you're going to sell it. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I will also say that the, you know, the, the preferred uh, way for us to bring a beer out to, to the market. And, and it doesn't always work this way, but the way we prefer to is, you know, starts with a pile of beer, of course, moves to the second stage and it's a single third for us. We have a 30 barrel brew house and a 75 barrel brew house. So the, 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 the perfect first step beyond pilot would be a 30 barrel batch. And that would be um, sold most likely just in our tasting room, maybe a little bit in bottles or a little bit in cans and a little bit in kegs. Um, that's kind of stage one. And that really allows us to kind of see, um, see how the process, the actual process on a larger scale went, the brewing process and selling process, uh, lets us, you know, do some packaging tests and so on in a controlled amount and really see, see how, how the beer is received by the, by the market as well. Um, and then after that, if it goes further than that, which it doesn't necessarily have to go further than that, then we step it up to some kind of a, national release whether that's a um one-time national release we do a lot of that we don't necessarily do seasonal beers but we do beers that we just release you know once a year to our national footprint um or potentially although this doesn't happen as much a, a new year-round uh, available beer so I'm, I'm curious about the involvement of your your distribution partners do, do they get involved at all before sort of that decision point three, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering like how often does a new beer that the brewery is really excited about, does that ever just get shut down at the last minute by distributors or do you get a thumbs up or down from them, you know, earlier in the process? You know, th that's one part of the process that, you know, the distributors really aren't involved in any of the beer development process here. Um, other than once a beer, you know, if a beer goes to um, national release, uh, on a on a one time scale, certainly that can give us feedback on on how it did uh, in the marketplace and how the wholesalers feel about it. But no, we're typically you know we're we're communicating our release schedule to our wholesalers you know around you know the fall around annual business planning meeting time, uh, and and that's that is what it is. So what else drives those decisions about when and where and how how a new brand will be sold? 
you know, it, it really is. <laughs> it, it's it's the part of the, this process that doesn't have strict rules to it. Not that we have strict rules really in any of it, but um, it's it's a pretty nuanced process where, again, it's a conversation between marketing, sales, and myself on you know where what we what we feel is a good fit at a given time. Um, for what, you know, what kind of beers the marketplace is excited for, what kind of beers we're excited for. Um, you know, we've, we've managed to keep it a pretty organic process throughout. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that, that plays a big role in it. Um, uh, I will say one other thing that we've done, uh, a, I think we've done a really good job of in the last, really in, in the, really in the last year, we've really increased this is when, when we're, when we decide to move a beer forward, and, you know, we name it, you know, you talk about naming being one of the hardest parts. We actually won't even put the beer kind of into the project management software into Asana until it has a name and potentially even kind of uh, artwork associated with it. Maybe the label's not done, but uh, if it's a beer we're going to sell in a can or a bottle, we'll, we'll actually work on the name, the look and potentially the whole label before it really even gets into like the actual, um, you know, other, other steps of the beer development process. Uh, and this, you know, it's an important part of it is, you know, what's, what's the beer name going to be? What's also, what's the packaging going to look like? What's the, you know, what's, what's the, what's the elevator pitch for the beer? Uh, what's the story behind the beer? Uh, before before we get too much further along, because that's an important part of it as well. Will that happen for the ones that you know that are just going to be tasting room only too, or or will you sometimes just kind of shoot some stuff in the tasting room and and worry about some of those details later on? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of referring to the beers that uh, the beers that we're selling in a can or a bottle, okay. and even if that's just in the tasting room, um, so it's really small batch. Th- those are the beers we're doing that with. You know, out of the whatever I said, close to 100 beers that we, we, we'll do in, in a given year, there's a whole bunch of ones that are just going into the tasting room. And, you know, we've got, especially, you know, if we pull, you know, a handful of kegs from some from our wild beer program and do a special blend that, you know, we're just doing in there or fooling around with some new fruit. That's a lot of the, uh, a lot of beers we're doing in there. But a lot of times those beers we know just inherently by the way that they're made that they're never going to go beyond the tasting room. They're pretty small scale. So, you know, the, some of the beer development burdens that you have for other beers, you don't have with those. So naming can be simpler, you know, you don't need imagery and, and labels behind it and so on and so forth. Going back to that big number of, you know, close to a hundred, um, you know, brands a year, do you have a target for that number or is that just what happens happens and it's an organic process? Yeah, it's really whatever happens, happens. Um, and there, there have been times, and I think we're kind of in one right now where, you know, it, 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 it waxes and wanes in terms of is our innovation program keeping up with what is needed? And there are times where for a long time, we came nowhere near close to keeping up. Like everything we did was sold in a second and it was gone. And, you know, we, we weren't making as many different beers, but it, the program wasn't necessarily keeping up with demand. Um, but then there are times where, you know, uh, Naomi, our sales director is just like, you know what, we got to pump brakes a little bit here. You know, there's only so many beers you can sell, uh, especially at the wholesaler level. Um, you know, when you're getting, you know, you, you, our sales department, our marketing department, our wholesaler partners, 
can only you know apply so much energy to to Allagash in general. And so you know if we have a whole bunch of beers at a given time, it can be pretty challenging for them to even find the energy to, to be behind those. So yeah, it's good to have that deep bench though, because then you can pick from the best of the best, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's key that communication between uh, i think you know i have a just a great working relationship with naomi our sales director and jeff our marketing director and it's just that having that open line of communication is so important and it seems like such a simple thing but um you know again back to the time where we we couldn't keep up with the needs like i i wasn't honestly communicating as well as i probably should have with the sales and marketing departments and but it didn't necessarily matter as much back then because everything we ma- we made was just going out there. And and now it's it's really important to have that back and forth communication about what's needed out there. I'm curious about the the brand development timeline. You know, does that vary significantly by brand, or can you say that hey, you know, for a given brand, it's usually about a X month process? It varies dramatically, and it varies dramatically with with kind of where where our needs set. We had a beer this year. Um, that was the first time we'd ever gone from pilot to national release beer called darling ruby uh, and that just uh, just the stars kind of all aligned with that we were all really fired up about the beer uh there was a spot in the in a in our release lineup that fit uh for that beer so that was pretty fast i imagine it um, also really matters too if the if the you know if the employee submitting it you know already has it like very clearly defined and you know has a recipe and all that i I imagine that probably has a big impact on the timeline that certainly helps for sure definitely so how much um how much fine-tuning is typical i know you said you know in an ideal world you're going to do the 30 barrel batch first do you oftentimes end up doing several of those before you scale up more or no yeah for sure i mean we, we we would move as much as we love a concept if we're not happy with the way that concept tastes at the pilot stage we're just going to keep keep brewing it so you know there's been some usually it may be a, a simpler process beer simple recipe beer and maybe we can get away with just piloting once typically it's at least twice that you know we'll brew a second 10 gallon batch to make sure the flavors are where we at make sure we can repeat uh what the certain flavor impacts that we had um but there have certainly been times where we've piloted a beer four or five, six times even, um, before moving it forward. And then when you move it to the 30 barrel size, again, depending on, on how complicated the process is, um, we'll occasionally even brew a 30 barrel batch that we don't sell uh, 30 barrel dump batch, we call it, which is kind of crazy to think about, especially if you're not in the brewing industry, or if you're not at a brewery brewing at the scale that not that we're that big, but at the scale we're brewing, it's kind of like, crazy to conceptualize that you're going to brew a 30 barrel batch with the intent of not selling it um but we've really found for certain beers we for us to stand by the quality of the beer we feel that it's a, that's a necessary thing for us to do um and you know we, we feel lucky to have a pilot program our pilot system a 10 gallon system but the reality of it it's it, everything doesn't always translate exactly especially when you're using um, you know, odd ingredients or an odd fermentation process when you go from that 10 gallon up to 30. So, you know, there's a handful of times a year where we'll just identify, we're really excited about this beer, but we got to see how it's going to do on a large scale. And so we'll brew a 30 barrel batch, ferment it out completely, 
uh, and then package, depending on what package it's going to intended to be going into. So if it's, if we think we'll sell it in cans, we'll package it in cans, bottles, bottles, et cetera. And we'll, we'll package kind of the minimum that we can. So really a handful of cases. Um, and that's partially for sensory evaluation. It's also probably most importantly for um, seeing how it ages, seeing how it acts in the package, especially when we're talking about um, a mixed fermentation beer, for example, uh, a beer that we want to really test the stability of over time. Um, so that's, that's something that we do a couple times a year. If the process is a simpler beer, a beer that we're, we're pretty confident in, then, then we'll often sell uh, just in the tasting room the first batch. How about you started to get into it, but I was interested in hearing more about the challenges of scaling up a, a recipe like that. You know, what are, what are some of the things that you have the most trouble with scaling sometimes? Yeah, I mean, the, just straight up like um, sizing up grain and hops, the simple stuff is, is really quite easy um it's it's the other stuff it's the uh if it, you know a beer is using two different yeast strains say um or you know we've had a couple of beers that we've brewed um same word stream fermented with two different yeasts and then blended back together at a certain blending ratio like those kind of things are hard to scale up and then you know using uh you know weird whether it's lemon zest or grapefruit zest or grapefruit juice we've done that over a couple beers recently um those scaling up that uh is is probably one of the bigger challenges um you know some you know how uh how the impact of of zest or orange peels on a larger scale um it's going to be a little bit different to what extent does yeast management factor into your um, decision-making process and development cycle. I mean, you know, if you're bringing forward new brands that have, you know, a totally, a totally different yeast and that, that adds a lot of variables to your, to the whole brewery operations. Yeah, most certainly does. I think our, uh, QC team would say that we don't think about it as, as much as we should at the time. <laughs> um, cause it's, you know, we, we kind of, uh, we kind of make ourselves make our life a little more complicated here than we probably should. Um, but as from the, from the very beginning, we've been, you know, kind of, I guess you could say a yeast forward brewery. So uh, we often pull around with many different yeast strains in a given year, because we feel like that's an important, um, you know, tool in our repertoire to create different flavors. Um, but it absolutely creates complex complications to bring in additional strains especially when you start to talk about some of the you know sta1 diastaticus uh yeasts that are available out there um factoring that in that side of things is is complicated do you have any uh interesting advice or, or anecdotes on sort of your approach to working with new yeast strains when you aren't familiar with their various quirks yeah i mean i think uh anytime some kind of forced fermentation tests are always good to do early on. I mean, we're, if we're using, we'll even do that at the pilot scale. Sometimes if we're, if we're working with a new yeast strain, we're not familiar with, um, we, I wouldn't say we always avoid, uh, SDA one positive yeast strains, but, uh, it definitely is a conversation for sure. Uh, early on in the process, cause that just adds a layer of complexity to everything. Um, Forced fermentations are the big one, and, and that, that's um, 
once that's one of the biggest factors for us to decide that we need to do one of those 30 barrel dump patches is you know if we feel like we need to uh really see how that yeast is going to operate on a larger scale a couple more sort of more technical brewing questions uh i'm curious if you if you have many challenges in regards to sort of um predicting beer color as you scale up from that very small batch um to the larger batch is that something that maybe you've just gotten really good at knowing those two systems or is that something that it can be a struggle at times we haven't had too much of a struggle with that um i would also say we don't i don't want to say we don't worry about it but it's not as an important piece to us at that stage you know it's you know color is certainly an important thing to control for a core brand something that there's an expectation set ahead of time for a beer like this you know if we're off by a little bit then what was the expectation was of the brewer uh we're not not too too worried about that can you talk about how maybe you plan for and manage ph throughout your process with these you know new brands again nothing nothing complicated there um you know, we, 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 we do very little pH adjustments here. We adjust our pH in our mash and that's it. And we do so uh, on the small scale, the same way we do it on a large scale with uh, lack food grade lactic acid. And you know, we're on the pilot system. We're doing that with a pipette. We're just taking a little pipette out of our normal uh, drum of lactic from the brew house and throwing <laughs> that into the mash. So, uh, um, so really quite simple on that side, and, and that's all we really have to do in terms of pH adjustment throughout the process. One of my least favorite things in brand development is providing marketing with beer descriptions and flavor profiles for beers that either don't exist yet or are still in process. How do you manage that? Yeah, that's that. I, I agree. That is a, that is absolutely a challenge. Um, you know, it, in a perfect world, you know, we have uh, time with the pilot. We, we actually have the pilot. Um, batch to work with so you know we'll run that through we have a descriptive panel here that runs once a week um that are we have you know it's one of many sensory panels we run here and the script that we run once a week and so we can throw the pilot batch into the descriptive panel uh and then it'll spit, spit out a you know a list of descriptors common descriptors of the beer uh, of course many of those need to be uh massaged a little bit if you will because you know a uh, marketing department or a consumer isn't super wild about reading about isoamyl acetate and ethyl acetate, et cetera. So, you know, you kind of translate the technical terms into a little more romantic terms uh, and create a description that way. That's, that's our preferred way to do it. Um, if the timeline's a little tighter, we have to kind of, you know, we'll sit down and, and describe the beer best we can based on, you know, assumptions that we have about the flavors we're trying to, to get at. The pace of innovation feels a lot faster than it used to, or maybe I'm just getting old. Do you have any tips for um, for other brewers out there in regards to keeping pace, uh, keeping with the pace and the pressure to constantly churn out something new and different, but still keep innovation natural and human? Yeah, I mean, it is a big challenge. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's that things are moving so fast now. I think for us, uh, probably the biggest tool of all is the, having this deep bench of options to pull from so you know having a whole bunch of beer ideas that we can pull from at any given moment is is makes it en enables us to stay kind of keep the process organic you know it kind of occurred to me not that long ago that you know w w this process has been a, our kind of beer development and our pilot process has always been a very organic you know 
from the employee naturally moving gears forward that we're passionate about. It's always kind of been that way. And it, you know, kind of light bulb went off in my head, you know, not that long ago where realizing that, you know, we, we can't keep the only way we can keep operating that way is to have this wide range of options and to get ahead to really um, move the timeline up, if you will. So, you know, potentially thinking about beers that we're developing, that we're brewing on the pilot system right now are beers that we'll sell in 2021, not 2020. Yeah. Um, And now we're not necessarily quite there. And there are certainly some beers that we move forward quicker, but it kind of realized that for us to keep this process the same as it always has been and organic and from the ground up, which was really important to me personally, was we really had to build that, build that bench up. Uh, and so for us, that's the most important thing to to keep up with the needs of the marketplace and still keep things organic. You consider this a success, even if the beer doesn't make it out of the pilot phase, because uh, you know uh, one of your employees got to brew something, uh, got to get involved with the process, got to learn something. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we definitely look at it that way. I mean, I think we, uh, and I think any employee who's taken part in the pilot process would would feel the same way um it's it's really amazing to see uh to see how people react when their idea gets chosen and and when it's their brew day and they come to work and they realize they, that this is their day that they get to step away from whatever they're doing on a normal day and brew a batch of beer um and learn process and hang out with one of the brewers and and, and so on and then their beer goes on tap in our break room and they get to see their coworkers. Um, drinking it and telling them how much they like it, or maybe they don't like it, but either way, uh, having that communal kind of feeling of, of participating in something that everybody gets to, gets to enjoy. Um, so yeah, we absolutely look at, even if the beer ends at what we call decision point one, um, you know, our decision at the after decision point one, where the beer has been brewed, that's still a huge success story. That was Jason Perkins here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you want to learn more about brand development at Allagash, you can do so by accessing one of the great resources that comes with Master Brewers membership, the District Presentations Archive. Thanks to the efforts of volunteer district officers like Debbie Newstifter-Smith, members can download both slides and audio of the presentation Jason gave during the 2019 District Michigan Winter Conference. Check the show notes for a link or use the meetings tab at mbaa.com. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Mall, White Labs, and BSG. So please let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. It's time to start making plans for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. If you can only make it to one conference in 2019, this should be it. We're really mixing things up this time and heading to the Calgary Convention Center to see how Alberta celebrates Halloween. You can find all the details on the meetings tab at mbaa.com. I can't get stuck, I can't.